We'll be in 1 Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy chapter 2. We've been going through First uh, Timothy in the book of First Timothy and uh, studying through uh, what God gives us to be an effective church. I've enjoyed the, uh, the study so far. hope that you have too. And uh, looking through uh, different aspects of the church. And we continue to do that today in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Actually, our topics uh, this morning and this afternoon both are uh, around women. And uh, uh, one of them is a rather violent uh, message. That's this afternoon. You have to come back for that. Uh, but uh, this morning, we're looking at the role of women within the church. And uh, we see here in 1 Timothy chapter number 2, starting in verse number 9, it says, In like manner also that women adore themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh, uh, which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, uh, but the woman, being deceived, was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing, if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety." Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help this morning. God, we're thankful for the opportunity to come, and I'm thankful for what we've learned thus far in the book of 1 Timothy, and I pray that today you would help us to learn again, draw us closer to you, help us understanding uh, your desires. Uh, Lord, help me to present these verses clearly and correctly, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We see here, uh, again, a reminder, not what Paul is writing to Timothy, but what God said to Paul to write down, to send to Timothy, and to be preserved for us for all of eternity. And so why is Scripture given? Uh, you think through, uh, and the reason why I'm, I'm introing it this way is this is always a fun topic. Um, one of the things that I like about preaching through books is that it does not allow me to skip things that can sometimes be difficult to talk about. And in today's world, not in today's church, but in today's world, this is a topic that gets a lot of, uh, of kickback. And uh, the reality is we have to look at Scripture, we have to read all of Scripture, because Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable, it's helpful, it's useful for doctrine or teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, which is what 2 Timothy tells us. And so we see that the, the, what God gives us in Scripture is useful. All of it is. I look back to the Old Testament and you see some different things that pertain to Israel and uh, the old ceremonial uh, laws and things like that. We can look at that and say, well, that doesn't uh, apply to us today. But within that, there are things that are helpful to us, things that teach us and grow us and help us understand God and help us understand uh, his instructions to us. Now, this passage here doesn't eliminate 
women from ministry. It doesn't eliminate women from ministering within the local church. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you look at just the uh, books that God uses Paul to write, uh, we see Paul mention and, and commend several different ladies and their ministries. Phoebe, uh, he talks about in, uh, oh, I forget which book, uh, Romans maybe, uh, a woman named Mary, a, a different than the Marys that we read about in the Gospels. Uh, there's a mother of Rufus, uh, the mother of Timothy, the grandmother of Timothy, and a woman that we read of named Lydia, all faithful servants of God, used of God in, in several different ways as well. So a lot of people will look at the book of First Timothy and say, well, Paul, he's a chauvinist and uh, he hates women and all that kind of stuff. Well, first of all, again, Paul, Paul, yes, is the human author of this. God is the one that wrote it. So if you think Paul's a chauvinist, then you think God's a chauvinist. And uh, if you want to have that fight with him, uh, be my guest. But uh, uh, what we've known from God is that everything that he says is, first of all, useful. Second of all, it's true. And uh, third of all, we're supposed to be faithful to it. And so we look at this passage of Scripture, and we see several things in it. Uh, but what's, what we, I want to make sure that we understand here is this is God speaking on the role of a woman within the church, and, uh, and I believe, uh, as, as God does, by the way, lay out roles for women, right? He lays out roles for women in the home uh, and as well. It's just instruction to help us understand how to have an effective church. And so let's look at a couple things uh, this morning, and then, uh, and then we'll conclude. Uh, so first of all, we need to see here, the Bible teaches that the women are to live in sobriety. Now, remember, today's message is on the woman, so don't think that we're avoiding the men. We're actually going to hit on it at the end. Uh, but don't think that we're being mean today, okay? Uh, the women are to live in sobriety, and it teaches us some things that the women should avoid uh, uh, here as well. Verse number 9, in like manner also, which is a reference to verse number 8, by the way, uh, where it tells the men uh, to pray everywhere, lifting up the holy hands without wrath and doubting. But in like manner, the women are to, uh, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Uh, so he starts off here talking about dress uh, for the women within the church. And what they should avoid is things that are unmodest or immodest. Uh, we see modest apparel here. Modesty is prioritized over fashion. It's prioritized over what the fad is. I'm not someone who typically preaches against fads uh, specifically. Uh, that being said, modesty is to go uh, uh, be prioritized over whatever the fad is. And you see it in fashion, right? And if you've been around for multiple decades, you've seen things go in style, go out of style, and return back into style. And, uh, and it's intriguing to watch. And now at my age, I've seen this happen. And, uh, and it's like, wow, that's amazing uh, that things are back. And, uh, and you, things that maybe you thought would never come back into style. You thought, there's no way this will ever come back. And yet, here it is. Not all fads are immodest. That's why I don't preach against fads. Uh, not all fads are immodest. But... Modesty should be prioritized over fashion. We should not say, well, I want to uh, be in style even if it's immodest, and then all of a sudden I'm living a life that God does not desire for me to live. I'm doing something that God does not desire for me to do. The word modesty in verse 9 means orderly or good behavior. Uh, the way that I dress, and modesty is not just a woman thing, by the way. Uh, so modesty is important for all. Uh, but it is orderly or of good behavior. I dress in a way uh, that is modest, that is orderly, that is of behavior becoming to God. 
it is good. Uh, and again, this doesn't mean that you can't be in style. It means that you should not sacrifice modesty for style. Modesty is a representation of godliness, again, both in men and women. Uh, I'm going to say this very bluntly because of how I was, uh, I say how I was raised, and that always puts everybody's attention on the ministry that I grew up in. It was more so in the churches that I was in, more so than the ministry that I grew up in. But I can't say I've never heard this in the ministry I grew up in. Anyways, that being said, uh, women should not dress modestly because men are perverts. They should dress modestly to honor and obey God. Now, I've always heard, not always, I've heard a lot of times that a woman should dress modestly because men are looking. And you don't want to cause a man to fall into sin by the way that you dress. I think that's fair in some ways. Uh, I think that any person should, should strive to live their life in a way that's not going to cause someone else to sin. That being said, I don't believe that women should dress modestly because men are perverts. I think that they should dress modestly because God is God. And God says, dress modestly. And so you should dress modestly as a result of that. And if that is your purpose for doing anything in life, by the way, whatsoever ye do, do all to, glory, to, to honor and glorify God, to follow God, to obey God, to do what God tells you to do. If that's your priority, then you're going to continue with it. Uh, so oftentimes we try to motivate people to live a good life, but we give them the wrong motivation for it. And in doing so, as they educate themselves more on Scripture, they begin to see the flaws in the man's teaching, and now they're no longer motivated to follow, even though the, the end result was, was proper, the motivation was wrong, and then all of a sudden people go, well, that's not right. That's not the reason. That's not why I'm supposed to do that. And then they just throw it off to the side instead of continuing to follow the good uh, behavior uh, and for the right motives, which is to honor God. It's to please God. It's to obey God. So that is our reasoning behind what we do. It should be at the very least. And here, dress is mentioned. It is brought up. It is addressed, uh, again, with the key on modesty. Then he goes on, though, in verse number 9, and he says not only should they adorn themselves in modest apparel, but with shamefacedness and sobriety. He talks about behavior. Uh, shamefacedness is just simply modesty in behavior. He talks about modesty in dress there in the first part of verse 9, but now he's talking about modesty in behavior. Uh, orderly and good. Uh, the, and again, this is not just applied to women, but in this, this context, that was what we're talking about here. And he said they should behave themselves modestly. They should behave themselves in shamefacedness and sobriety. Sobriety meaning self-control. Complete command of one's passions. You know, it's funny, I was reading through this and studying for this, and immediately when I came to this, this section of behavior... It's always the, view, the way that I viewed Mary, the mother of Jesus. I don't know how you view Mary, but when I think of Mary, I think of very patient, a very calm, a very submissive, uh, a very orderly lady. And we see the story when Christ does his first miracle. We see Mary, we're going to get to this in our afternoon uh, uh, segment at some point in time. But she says, Jesus, we're all out 
of the, the of wine, all we got left is is water. Do something. And it seems to be a little out of character from what we know about Mary the rest of the way, depending on how it's presented. And again, I, I'm jumping way ahead. We're going to get to that down the road. Uh, but when I think of Mary, typically I think of her as this very orderly, very in control, very patient uh, uh, mother, wife, friend. And, uh, and I don't know why this popped into my mind, but it did as I was thinking through this. And women are to behave themselves modestly and in control. I'm thankful for the churches that I grew up in. I can't think of uh, too many instances of, uh, of women or men, for that matter, being out of control in a church um, as far as loudly out of control. They've been out of control, but not, not loudly. Um, but uh, to, to think through the mindset that God has for the church and what he desires for the church and the order of the church and how he sets it up and how he ordained it and his desire for it, and, uh, and it's always fun because you have different personalities, right? There are people who are more outgoing, uh, more loud. You have people who are more quiet and uh, maybe bashful or timid may be the better word for it as well. Um, through the history of this church, we've had more strong-willed uh, ladies than, than, than most churches that I've been in. And that's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. Um, but even with strong will doesn't mean that we go loud and, and boisterous and um, out of control, right? Uh, and there is still that uh, behavior that is becoming of God, that is desired by God uh, for ladies in the church to have. And it is that self-control, the, the uh, command of one's passions, the modesty in behavior along with the modesty in dress. And he goes on in verse number 9 to talk about the outward display. He says there, uh, not broided hair uh, or, or gold or pearls or costly array. Now this does not mean uh, you cannot put on makeup. It does not mean you cannot fix your hair. It does not mean that you cannot wear jewelry. That's not what this verse says. But what it is talking about is your outward display. Flashy promotion of uh, the attributes of worldliness and wealth. Do you promote worldly uh, outward appearance or a godly outward appearance? It's, the, uh, it's a display of the, uh, uh, of the body that does not match up with the sobriety and the modesty that God is uh, talking about in, in the earlier parts of verse 9. It is uh, flashing what the world would do versus what uh, God would do. It's promoting wealth. Uh, is it wrong to be wealthy? No, it's not. Uh, but pride and wealth is wrong. Um, and that's, that's, that's what it's getting to here. It's not saying, again, that you can't wear jewelry, but it's that you should be modest and controlled in your outward presentation, representing Christ and not the world. Um, I've heard people say, and I've looked into it some, and I don't think it's completely wrong, um, but, but it's basically talking about the attire of a harlot. Um, how she would dress and, and present herself to look very um, uh, desirable, very flashy. And, uh, and then I've also seen it compared to the idea of a spiritual of the heart, uh, not showing a heart of heartletness. That's not a word, I don't think. Uh, but uh, the idea of, of how I present myself, it's not about me. Right? When we come to church, 
Uh, and it should be this way in our daily lives, too. When we come to church, it's not about me. I don't, I don't dress in a way, male or female, in a way that is going to draw all the attention to me and forget the whole reason I'm even here. It's about living and presenting myself in a way that is modest and that is in control uh, and that is for the purpose of honoring God. And that's all it's talking about here in verse number 9. Uh, the, the dress should be modest. The behavior should be modest. The presentation should be modest. And some people take that to extremes, right? I mean, I know of churches that, um, not in our independent Baptist circle, but I know of churches that would say no makeup, no jewelry, uh, no curls, <laughs> no, just everything just straight, bland, and you know that, that's not what it's teaching here. But it is a reminder of where the heart is supposed to be. Remember, everything with God comes back to the heart. Everything with God comes back to the heart. And that's the whole idea here, is everything that I do is showing that my heart is focused on God and nothing else. And so we see this uh, avoidance of worldliness uh, through the presentation and the dress and the behavior uh, here. But what should they strive for? Verse number 10. But... Skip the, the, what is that? That's not a parenthesis, is it? Parentheses? Skip that for a second. But with good works. Why? That's where you go back to the middle part, which becometh uh, women professing godliness. The things that you wear, the way that you behave, the way that you present yourself should be becoming of a woman who professes godliness. Uh, and so you do that through the actions that you do. The things that people can see. People can't see your heart. They can only see what you present. God can see your heart. People cannot. Remember James says, I'll show you, not this James, James in the Bible says, uh, I will show you my faith with my works. And the reason why is because that's what you can see. And so a woman who professes godliness, no woman uh, that I've met has ever professed to be godly in the sense where they say, I'm really godly. Um, but they would, they would say that I am striving to be godly, to be holy as Christ is holy. That's what I'm striving for. And, and Christian women who come to church, uh, we would assume, would all be striving for godliness. So a woman who professes godliness should, by her actions, present godliness. So the way that I dress, the way that I behave, the way that I present myself, that is the works that I'm doing. Outward beauty can be bought. You can go to a doctor today who can almost just print you a 3D face if you want to look a different way. Uh, they can lift, they can fill, they can do all kinds of different things. Outward beauty can be bought. You've seen uh, uh, <laughs> on most people's wedding day, they wear more makeup women wear more makeup and do their hair in a way that they're not going to ever do again in most cases not in every case but in a lot of ways and uh and 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 i get it and i don't blame them for it uh it's it's a special day and i try to always remind any wedding that i do that it's about the bride 
and not about the groom and not about the people. At the end of the day, the reality is it's about the bride. And so it's her special day. So you want to do everything you can to try to make it special for her. Um, and anyway, so they, they, they have all this, uh, um, uh, this, this to do. And, uh, and then I always just kind of giggle because uh, that's the last time she'll ever look like that. And, uh, and, and, and in most cases, very beautiful. Um, not in every case, but in most cases, right? Very beautiful. We can pay for makeup, and we can pay for stylists, and we can pay for hairdos, and we can pay for whatever to buy outward beauty, but God desires inward beauty. Now, I know to a husband... We appreciate inward beauty. We also appreciate outward beauty. Um, but, but God's desire is about the, the heart. And he wants the heart to be beautiful. And he wants the Christian women, those who uh, profess, those who uh, uh, um, uh, desire godliness, he wants their heart to be beautiful. Would you, you can hold your spot, but turn with me to Acts uh, chapter 9, yeah, Acts chapter 9. And I think we see an example of this. With a woman named Tabitha. Verse number 36. Acts chapter 9, verse number 36. Now there was in Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. I always felt bad for Tabitha, because Tabitha is a beautiful name. Dorcas, on the other hand, I, I apologize for her uh, on her, uh, for, you know, I feel bad. Anyways, this woman, Tabitha Dorcas, was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died, whom, when they had washed, they laid her in the upper chamber. And forasmuch as uh, Lida, Lida uh, was nigh in Joppa, uh, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men, desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter uh, arose and went with them, and when he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him weeping, and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed and turned him to the body, said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Now listen, we read through this story, and we always think of the miracle of her being dead and now being alive. And that's an amazing miracle. It's a great thing. It's a, it's a phenomenal thing. I also appreciate Peter calling her Tabitha. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, that has nothing to do with this sermon. Um, nonetheless, what's interesting here is the example in which she gives. Her life was lived in a way that her love for people was seen. And as you see, Peter are coming in, and all the widows there weeping, they were showing the things that Tabitha or Dorcas had made for them while she was with them. She had a beautiful heart. Her testimony to the people around her was beautiful. Now, we don't read about how she dressed. We have no idea how she dressed. Well, we probably do, but nonetheless, 
what we see here is a testimony of a woman who I believe was godly. And I believe that in the short little bit that we have about her here, we see the love that people had for them as a result of the love that she had for them. It says there in verse number 36, she was full of good works and alms deeds. She gave to the poor. She loved people. She was full of good works. Her life represented what God desires the life of a Christian woman to represent. And the miracle that she was raised from the dead is phenomenal. It's a great part of the story, but it oftentimes uh, uh, overbears the fact that Tabitha lived a life that was godly. And that's what godly women should be striving to do. If you don't know how to make uh, coats and garments, that's fine. You don't have to do that. Um, but you should be a, living a life that is uh, sober and modest in the way that you behave and, as it says back in 1 Timothy chapter 10, uh, with good works. You should be uh, living a life, and again, this is not just women, but in this context, that's what we're talking about, a life that is of good works if you are uh, professing godliness. So that's what we should strive for. Uh, and we see the example there in Tabitha. Thirdly, we see that women, or excuse me, secondly, we see that women uh, not only are, are uh, to live so, uh, in sobriety, but they're also supposed to learn in silence, verse number 11 tells us. And the Bible says there in verse number 11, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. Silence is the same word, it's defined as peaceable, or the idea of, of tranquility from within. We've talked a lot about this idea recently in, in other sermons, but the idea of peace from within versus peace from without getting peace from the outside, working in, but actually having a peaceful heart uh, from within, giving you that uh, tranquility, that, uh, that peace. And that's what it means here by silence, when the word silence is used here. They should learn in silence. They should learn in uh, peaceableness and tranquility from within. And with all subjection, it's a military term, subjection is, referring to rank. And so in the military, you have the different ranks, and so if you are below, you are in subjection to the rank above. And it's the same word used, and it's used several times throughout Scripture uh, as well. But we see here this idea of the learning in peaceableness and silence and in understanding position and subjection. And in verse 12, it tells us uh, uh, what's forbidden. It says, But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in Silence. So the forbidden act, and again, we use that word forbidden, and it makes some people immediately go, well, you can't tell me I can't. Um, okay, God can. <laughs> and so uh, you can take it up with you. Uh, but teaching or usurping authority over the man is forbidden by women within the church. Now, this doesn't forbid or prohibit women from teaching other women. Uh, we can see this in Titus, talks about this. Uh, or children, we'll see uh, in future verses here in 1 Timothy. Uh, or even in a private setting, in Acts, we see a husband and wife uh, teaching someone uh, as well. Priscilla, the wife, uh, and her husband teaching Apollos. So remember the context of the passage here is within the church. And we have this understanding that God says, it's not that he desires, it's that he tells us. Women are not supposed to teach men in the church, and they're not supposed to usurp authority over a man in the church. 
And so when you have a woman preacher, it is against this passage. And it's why we stand firmly against it. I don't have a problem with a woman giving a testimony. I don't have a problem with a woman giving praise to the Lord. Uh, God doesn't have a problem with that either, by the way. But God does say there is a role for the church, for men, and for women. And the woman is supposed to learn in silence or peaceableness and subjection, and she's not supposed to teach or usurp authority over a man. And some people, and again in today's world, uh, and the feminist movement and all that is there, uh, this verse doesn't sit well with some people in the world. But again, the argument is very simple. Well, God says it, and I'm going to follow it. And that's how we're all supposed to respond to it. We see a, um, uh, the fact that how this kind of came to fruition to a degree, I suppose. We see why it's forbidden. Verse number 13, God tells us the order uh, in which he intended. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. He said, I did this on purpose. I didn't form Adam first by accident. I did it on purpose. This is the order in which I intended. And then he says that the order was mishandled. Verse number 14. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, was in, trans, in the transgression. So you remember the story of Adam and Eve. And they're in the garden. And God gave them access to everything in the garden with the exception of one tree. And then when you see the serpent and Satan come in, and he did not go to Adam. He went to Eve. And he did this on purpose. Because God, on purpose, created Adam first and then Eve, Satan, on purpose, went to Eve and not Adam. And he deceived Eve to eating of the fruit. And after she did so, she went and offered the fruit to Adam, and Adam ate also. Adam and Eve's sins were different. Same consequence, uh, same end result, but different sins. Uh, Adam was disobedient. God said, do not eat of this tree. And when Eve came and brought the fruit to Adam, Adam knew he was not supposed to eat of the tree. He was not fooled by Eve. He was not deceived by Eve. He was not tricked by Eve. He was just disobedient to God. Very simple. I know I'm not supposed to do this. I'm going to do it anyways. Eve, on the other hand, was deceived. She was uh, tricked. She was fooled. Um, and... And, and as much as many women don't like to hear this, that is how God created women. They are more easily deceived than men. And I know you're immediately going to a guy that you know in your life that you're thinking, no, I'm much smarter than that guy. Uh, I would never be tricked, but that guy, oh, he would. I understand, I understand that. The characteristics that God gave men and women are different. They are equal in the sight of God. Don't get me wrong. And they are both incredibly important in the sight of God. Equally important in the sight of God. But women are more easily deceived than men. And it's interesting, this is going to go off topic, and I need to be careful with what I say. But in the uh, demasculatizing of men today, in the, the making men more feminine, you know what we're seeing in society? We're seeing men become more easily deceived. If males in the world would live like males that God desires for them to be, that would not be the case. 
but they're just choosing to go uh, with their own heart, with the way that they want to live, to do their own thing. And that's why society is right back to where it was in Noah's day when God looked at the earth and he said, man, everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. And it's dangerous. And there's going to be a consequence for it. But we see here the responsibility of the fall, the responsibility, uh, the, the weight of the discipline uh, that got Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden, that, that introduced sin to the world. The, the one that God puts the blame on is Adam. Even though Eve was the first one, the weight goes on to Adam. Why? Because I formed Adam first, God said, and then Eve. And he is responsible for obeying and for helping his household obey too. But Eve was deceived. The reason why God forbids women teaching in the church is very simple. I formed Adam first and then Eve. And Eve being deceived ate of the fruit. And women, again, I know it's not a, a, a thing that people like to hear. But the reality is, is, is uh, women are more easily deceived. And if they're teaching, they can be more easily deceived by false teaching. And it's why it's important we as men do our job to study and read. And, and it's why women are supposed to pray and study and read as well, that God would protect their hearts and their minds. Uh, but if there is a man in the house, the man is supposed to lead that and help with that. And we see it, the response in verse number 15. Uh, it says, Notwithstanding, she, the woman, shall be saved in childbearing, if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Uh, God says one of the ways uh, that women are able to teach is through childbearing. They get to teach their children. They have the great responsibility uh, an opportunity to teach, especially in the home, not just in the home, but especially in the home, uh, with their children. And I know that doesn't apply to everyone, uh, but that is one of the ways that God gave the opportunity uh, to women. But what's interesting here is we look at this, and we can look at the role of women in the church, and it's an important role to understand. Uh, but I, I was thinking through this a little bit more going through this passage. If the women are to be silent, then that means the men have to be vocal. If the women are to be in subjection, that means the men have to lead. I know in many households, uh, women desire to be in subjection and desire to follow, but their husband will not lead. And God addresses that. It's another sermon at another time. But God addresses that still, the importance of faithfulness and obeying God and trusting God and, 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 and keeping on. But the men have a role too. It says there in verse 8, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without uh, wrath and doubting. That's leading in the church. It's being vocal in the church. That word men in verse number 8 literally means male. The male species. In verse number one, it says you pray for all men. That word men in verse number one uh, is the same as humankind. It's a different word than we used in verse number eight. In the English language, it's the same word. But in, in, the, in the original language in Greek, the word men in verse number one is humankind. 
The word men in verse number 8 is male. See, the, the man has a role and makes it so much easier for the woman to fulfill her role if he does his role. And what you find in churches, not in our church, and I'm thankful for this, but what you'll find in churches where women are loud, boisterous, uh, overbearing, uh, aggressive, and all of those kinds of things, you'll find a bunch of timid men sitting around doing Jack Diddley while the women ruin the church. And I say that as kindly as I can. But if we don't follow the role in which God sets up for the church, the church will not be effective. And it takes both, man and woman. We have to understand what God desires. As 1 Timothy teaches us, has taught us, and will continue to teach us, if we want to be effective, if we want to be what God desires for us to be, we have to fulfill uh, the church the way that God desires for the church to be fulfilled. We have to do what God tells us to do. We have to respond and answer to what God uh, commands for us to do. Are we willing to do what God wants us to do? Are we willing to fulfill the roles in which God wants us uh, to fulfill? If we are and we're willing to do so and we do it together, then the church will be effective. The church will be impactful. The church will reach people. Uh, the church will teach and train and edify and exhort and uh, everything that it's supposed to do, it will do. But how do we do that? I think chapter 2 is a great, uh, a great short setting for us. Well, first we've got to pray for everybody. For all men, all humans, for all that are in authority, for kings. We've got to tell God about men. And then we've got to tell men about God about salvation and what Christ has done for us. In verse number 6, he gave himself a ransom for all. We've got to tell people about that. And then the men of the church got to step up and lead. And one of the best ways they can do that is pray everywhere. And the women, in like manner, should come beside them. And be modest and sober. Learn in silence. Not overstep their position. And understanding that God has a purpose for it. That's the thing. If we don't believe that God has a purpose, it's hard to follow. If we think God is just throwing things out at us and seeing what sticks, we're not going to follow it. But know that God has a purpose for it and know that God's way is perfect. His thoughts are higher than mine. His understanding, his wisdom is much more than mine and yours. So trust God. Do what God says. And see the positive results that come because of it. Lord, I pray for your help this morning in our lives. I pray for man and woman. God, that we would heed your word, that we'd follow your word. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand your purpose 
And even if we don't fully understand it, God, may we faithfully follow it. Lord, I pray that you would give us knowledge and understanding. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be bold to follow your word, to pray, to witness, and to live as you've told us to do so. Lord, we pray for our church. God, would you use it? God, would you unite, unite us? That we would live out the body that you've desired for us to live. That we would be the arms and the feet and the eyes and the ears of the church. And that you'd use us together to accomplish your will for Bible Pathway Baptist Church. Lord, I'm thankful for the ladies in our church. I'm thankful for their faithfulness. I'm thankful for the support that they give in their homes and in this church. Lord, I pray that you would bless and guide and direct. Lord, I pray that uh, this morning uh, that each, each lady here received what you desired for them to receive. And Lord, I'm thankful for the men in this church. And Lord, I'm thankful for how you've placed us here. Lord, I pray that we would lead the way we're supposed to lead. Lord, that we would uh, exemplify what we're supposed to exemplify. Lord, that I know that if each of us fulfill our roles, it becomes so much easier for all of us to fulfill our roles. So, God, may we be what you want us to be, I pray in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, would you stand with me, please? We'll have the piano play. If the Lord spoke to you this morning, we'll give you time uh, to do business with God. Husband, this morning, would you pray for your wife? Wife, would you pray for your husband? Would you pray for each other as a church? And we can do what God desires for us to do.